Cells. Cells. Have you ever been in an institution? Cells. Cells. Do they keep you in a cell? Cells. Cells. When you're not performing your duties, do they keep you in a little box? Cells. Cells. Interlinked. Interlinked. What's it like to hold the hand of someone you love? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do they teach you how to feel finger to finger? Interlinked. You're listening to Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. Welcome to Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. I am your host, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Patrick Green, Micah Green, and Peter from the Midwest. Welcome to the show, everybody. Yeah, thanks. Welcome to the fun house. We got, we're recording this uh, from multiple locations as always, but Jamie is is still traveling (laughs) around. Uh, Mike and I are getting over a virus, which is not COVID. We don't think. And uh, and Peter, it's been a while since we've seen you. So tonight we are kind of regrouping. And thank you for the the patience. This is coming out a day later than usual. I, I take responsibility for that. I was sick and we couldn't record last night. But um, this is an episode that we've been talking about quite a lot for the last few weeks, in no small part, because we got some amazing comments from listeners to questions that we posed via Facebook and Patreon on tonight's topic. So we're going to kind of, as we get started here, kick things off by reading some of those and then uh, kind of get into the conversation. I'm really excited for this episode. Me too. I, I'm really excited. And uh, this, uh, to preface it for everyone, we wanted to talk about not a 2049 versus 2019, but what we've been seeing and what we've been hearing from people, even before we put a message out on social media, is people who have stated on their own that 2049 resonates with them more than the original. And that's something that I think settles differently for each of us here. And I threw it out there to Patrick. I was like, what about an episode talking about this? Because I want to get behind the reasons. And Patrick was like, sure, let's do it. And then Peter was like, I'm coming aboard. And then Michael was like, I'm going to be on, on board as well. So here we are. And then we put out a couple of posts, one on Facebook and I believe one, or we shared the Facebook post in our um, Fields of Calantha group on Facebook, but we also put uh, feelers out on Patreon just to get our patrons' uh, thoughts and opinions. And we got a well of opinions from just all over the place. Some people were like, oh, one movie isn't better than the other, kind of like, kind of missing the point. This isn't a versus discussion. I hate versus discussions. I think that they're, they're too binary, and I, I think... Movies should operate on their own. And for me, something might work better for me, but it doesn't mean it's better than the original. It just means it's work or different for me. And it resonates different for me, but it doesn't mean it's better. It just means it's different. And I think those are two very different conversations. Yeah, I agree. And so tonight, again, to to frame this, as Jamie said, this is not a you know either or conversation. This is a conversation about the ways in which these films resonate with each other and with us now at this point in time. And to kind of get us started tonight, as we pull up the comments from everybody, I think it's going to be hard to talk about this without addressing the fact that none of us were there for the original film premiering. At least one of us was old enough. To- I was. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Peter were. Peter's about my age. <laughs> well, you were. You were there. But Peter looks like he's twenty years the old. Um, but you didn't see it in theaters as a as a young child. And so, I was sixty. <laughs> I think that 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 that's something that I just kind of putting this out there on the table. It's it's interesting because for me the original film was always a historical document in a way that spoke to me as a current 
urgent thing, but it spoke to me from the past. And when 2049 came out, it spoke to me in the present about the future. And that's something that I'm just kind of putting that out there. That's going to be tough to get away from. And so in my in my sort of abstract, I often think that 2049 feels to me to be the more relevant film to my life. But then we watch 2019 and I get sucked into it. And then I'm really not sure again. So yeah, let's let Jamie, you want to start us off with some Facebook comments and we kind of go from there. Yeah. Um, this one comment I'm going to read is from a friend of ours, Mike Andrews, who used to be a, a work with us on perfect organism. He continues to be a friend of ours and he wrote a really poignant uh, post. So let me cue that up. I will never hesitate to appreciate the first film for creating the universe, the atmosphere, the tone, and the basics of how the world works. Sean Young and Rudger Hauer in particular are incredible. I really love the first film. But 2049 had a more cohesive, satisfying plot centered around characters we care about that extend into the Blade Runner of 1982 in meaningful directions. It also paid homage without showing in fan service and left alone mysteries the first film set up while adding to the commentary. Example is Deckard Replicant. The atmosphere, score, characters, world, and story all feel like Blade Runner, but expand on it in every possible way, not just to be bigger and better, but to actually flesh out said world. 2049 is a superior film, enhances the original in meaningful ways, all signs of a fantastic sequel. Here, here. Another poster from Facebook, Jared Scott, wrote, 2049 is my favorite movie of all movies. The original was my favorite, but 2049 took it so much further. Such a beautiful film. I'm going to read part of uh, a long one uh, from a friend from a friend of ours, Sky Hyatt. I think that's how you pronounce their name. Sky writes, for the following reasons, 2049 does exceed the original, in my opinion. In Blade Runner 2049, we see Danny Villeneuve weave the threads of DNA across years, integrating the original film and this one into a seamless unity, registering as a single event, a story 35 years in the telling. We pick up the characters right where we left them, breathing life into entire decades. The lost years are found. We begin, in essence, at the beginning. 2049 is rich with deft referencing, moments of homage, the tactic, pro- the tragic progression of decades now amplified. We see how the delicate strands of hope strung between lifetimes after a generation is so unbearably tragic. Denis keeps the flame of conviction alive in this in the film's central characters. Lives were broken. People were hunted. Still are hunted. Half a life later. Not just since the movie started, but since Deckard was 40 years old. He's now 75 and lives in the zone of alienation with holograms of Elvis and Marilyn who remind us how heartbreaking beauty is when it's gone. For Ryan Gosling, our sacrificial K, the past and the future now inhabit the same air. He's seen, he's seen the miracle, the film's gravitational core. His existence is confounded in the mystery of legacy bloodlines. Through him, we understand the movie is about Rachel, even though she's not there. It's about motherhood, separation, loss, a failing species, and children as the final outsource. So just moving on to some of our patron comments now, um, Julian Casey writes, it's impossible to choose between the two. I couldn't even pretend to know where to begin. There's the historic groundbreaking original, its unique sets and score. They were also a different breed of actor back then. And then there's the visually stunning beauty of 2049, intricate storytelling, and of course the mind bending question, what is real, integral to both. If you were gonna make me choose or walk the plank, 
I would go for the original. The soundtrack and the actors are the only reason for my choice. Looking forward to how you guys decide this one. Thumbs up. Dave Bright says, 2049 is my favorite film of all time, so it sits just above 2019 in my list. Everything is just on a grander scale, which doesn't elevate it by default, but all those elements combine into a masterpiece of storytelling, cinematography, and sound. In short, it's a stunning piece of work. Matt Lowe says, I'm very much with Julian Casey on this one. I can't say I love 2049 more than the original because the original is is exactly that, an absolute original. But as great as it is, it does have some flaws, which I am able to see even while also being able to ignore them. Of course, the quote-unquote love scene, which has been talked about a lot, but also some just other pieces that don't quite fit together and the continuity is a bit janky after all the post-release tinkering. 2049 is absolutely amazing. And I'd say a better film technically, but 2019 just holds too much of a special place for me. Philip Pace says, The truth is, there would be no 2049 without 2019, just as there would be no New Testament without the old. The latter feeds on and reflects the previous. Asking and discussing which film is superior is rather pointless, in my honest opinion. In the end, everything's relative. Both productions are special in their own way. Alexander Gates says, I love both films, but I could easily place 2049 as one of the best films of the last few decades. It has so much more going on, asking new questions, laying groundwork for more stories, the comics, short films, 2099. The sound design and music is both oddly comforting and uncomfortable. It's like watching a painting, opening a larger world. I look forward to the discussion about this question. And then just before we wrap here, uh, Dave Joyce says, I put both films on pretty equal footing, but I do think there are a few ways that 2049 is a stronger film in terms of storytelling. Mainly, 2049 has much better characters. Everyone in the first film feels somewhat flat when you compare them to their fleshed out counterparts in 2049. I find Kay to be much more relatable than Deckard. Kay is a victim of his circumstances and surroundings in a way that Deckard isn't. Deckard has self-exiled. His isolation is largely a choice. Kay, on the other hand, is kept in a little box, quote-unquote, by his powers above him. Seeing him break his way out of that box and carve out meaning for himself in connection with others is a more gratifying experience for the viewer. I think it connects us better, I think it connects better with many today feeling, quote, boxed in by failing systems and institutions around us that feel overwhelming and, quote, big. I also think that 2049 has better antagonists. Wallace and Love are both deeply complicated. There's an ambiguity to their motivations. Tyrell, by contrast, was basically a stand-in for corporate greed. I would also say that 2049's characters act with more agency and generally achieve more. Deckard, in 2019, is largely just guided along by what happens around him. One could even argue with his assertion in 2049 that he was good at his job. All of the characters in 2049 are actually a lot better at shaping the world around them through making choices. Lastly, I think 2049 hits harder because it's not only dealing with the quantity of life issue, but the quality of life as well. And then our final comment from Patreon, from Nick DeBauer. I fall in the 2049 camp. I recognize that 2019 is so influential it's baked into our culture, but I'd rather watch 2049. Denis Villeneuve and the modern technology just melded into a more enjoyable movie for me. The cinematic scenes are just absolutely incredible. Every time I rewatch it, I text my movie-watching buddy about how incredible 2049 looks and feels. Incredible pair of movies. So those are our Patreon comments. Should we open the floor for conversation? What, what do we all think about these? 
I can kick this off for a minute. Um, well, number one, none of this is going to be as eloquent of all, as just about every single one of those comments. Every time I was like, oh, this is going to be the best one. It was no, those one are better. good comments, weren't they? They were, they were very good. Very well written, yeah. I think just to kind of quick kick it and not go too far, um, in general, it seemed like the the sort of common thread to all of this was you can't have 2049 without 2019. And then as obvious as that sounds just coming out of my mouth and again, not as eloquent as everyone else's comments, but it's, it's just the simple fact. But um, again, so you, again, it's, it's not a versus if it was, I mean, I don't know. I think a lot of points go towards setting up the universe, which again, a lot of people talked about 2019 setting up the, 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 the universe, the world, the characters, the, the, the overarching themes, and then 2049 just running with it. I don't, I don't think 2049 could have done what it did, obviously, without its predecessor. But um, it, it's it's a good mix. I, I, I think I, uh, there's a lot of things to be taken from both, and I think that's why um, both resonate with so many people, and you know why there's so much passion behind each movie. Um, as a as a uh, sort of a sneak peek into the additional comments that I'll make later, 2049 does tend to resonate with me a little more, um, and we can get into that more. But I, I think that to set it up, I think everyone did a really good job of explaining how one can't live with the other. I really want to tee it up um, for Mike a little later, or at least one of my main comments about 2049 will relate to something she said on an episode a long time ago regarding how your relationship with Deckard only got deeper and better with 2049 and almost sort of didn't make up for some of the mistakes that either the movie made, the writing made, the actors made, or the character made. But in a lot of ways, it it sort of almost redeemed a character who's actually sort of more of a sub character in 2049. So I think that's a really important thing that 2049 did for a lot of us was it's, it's saved and I think memorialized a lot of of 2019. So I'll, I'll pass it on with that. But just everyone, just amazing comments. But I think, you know, as we're moving forward again, not versus. And I, I like just like that. It seems like in overarching uh, unison, the community is at least uh, in in unison as far as you can't have one with the other. So it's it's a nice relationship. Yeah, I think everyone um, has some really insightful stuff to say. I agree, Peter. I I couldn't say it as eloquently as they do. Um, but yeah, we can't have one without the other. And the first film, 2019, I think a lot of us were just blown away by the bravery of that world and, and what they did to create it. Everything from the sets to the costumes, to the manner of speaking in that world, to just something that I really love about their world building is... Um, seeing the mundane things occur like someone we we see Deckard eating noodles in the beginning and all of that like that we couldn't have the richness of the world that would then become 2049 without 2019 and 2019 is such a special film in that like there has been nothing like it since it really truly took such an abstract story and gave it life and i think that's incredible and it's always going to hold a special spot in my heart and yes peter 2049 really does save deckard for me so we can talk about that in a little bit but a lot of what i was hearing in the comments were um thoughts about how 2049 really deepened and expanded on 2019 
And one thing that those comments was making me think about was how, um, how cool it was to see the world age and decay more. And I think in a lot of sequels and a lot of things that come out, you know, in our world 30 years later, it's difficult to truly capture what the first universe would look like in whatever time jump it was. For an example, Star Wars, um, I think when we had the original three films, then we had the prequels and the prequels looked like they were made way after, like it just looked like the world was more advanced. <laughs> um, and then these, these sequels, it just, for them to create, to continue the timeline, it it was hard to tell that that was happening. Whereas with 2019 to 2049, it really looks like that world got even dirtier, got even bleaker. Um, there were fewer humans to no humans, really. We don't know. Um, it just looked like that was, like we arrived back in that world, which we stepped out of from 2019. Um, and that's just fascinating, I think, to see like how they, how Denis Villeneuve and everyone who worked on that film was able to really advance the society and the world that was alive in 2019. Um, And yeah, just, I can't wait to keep talking about this. The comments were phenomenal. I think those are all great points and uh just just picking out something else that I'm, I'm hearing and thinking about as we're talking it's interesting to think about how close 2049 comes to functioning as its own movie without 2019 and that, that's something that we don't really ever talk about because we don't really have an excuse to think about it like that because we're always talking about both of the movies but i i mean i i guarantee there was some percentage of the audience that had not seen the original film who went to see 2049. And, you know, I, I would imagine most of them walked away feeling like they saw a pretty cohesive statement, right? It lacked a lot of depth for them because it, they didn't understand the references to the first movie and a lot of these things. They could, I'm sure they could sense the implicit emotional undercurrent without necessarily knowing why it was the way it was. But it's interesting to think that like 2049 really does kind of function on its own, but it functions better because 2019 exists in the first place. And so something that I'm just noticing in these comments and also in both of what you were saying is the interplay between those two things, the dynamic that, you know, you have a great, you have two great films, like two unassailably great movies. They might not be everybody's favorite, but they are definitely, I mean, I know Blade Runner is in the BFI 100 and I'm sure 2049 will be at some point. They are, they're pretty you know, universally regarded as being great films. And yet they're very, very, very different from one another. And that's something that I think about more and more as we compare them with each other is they really are very different. And I mean, down to like aesthetic choices, down to the way that light is used, down to the imagery and the iconography. 2049 is not beholden to 2019 in in any real way 
and it it just sort of it's like 2019 gives it air to fly on. So yeah, I'm just kind of just just saying that because I'm thinking about how they relate to each other and how they kind of also can exist as separate utterances within the same universe and still work well in that way too, which is interesting and kind of rare, I think, for sequels. A word that comes to mind for me is resonance and the resonance of 2049. And I feel like when I was reading Sky's comment about how 2049 resonates with them. I couldn't, I, I, I grabbed onto it. And I think for myself, and I know we're going to get into more of our own, our own, um, how, how, how 2049 versus 2019, how they sit with us. But the idea that 2049 resonates like an echo chamber in us. And 2019 doesn't do that for me as much. 2019 is this very profound, very tight philosophical piece works well within that world the door closes it's the last time we see brett uh brett <laughs> it's the last time we see deckard and rachel and that's it and i obviously it's a film that i think about those are characters that i think about but 2049 every time that film ends it's like a gong it's like someone's hitting a gong and each name is a gong like a a bang on the gong and it just re resounds in my head and in my life and like if you were to come into my my house most of the posters on the wall are from 2049 um for me 2049 resonates the most and i can't and i think i, I think there's a couple things happening with 2049 um that have enabled it at least for myself um to have a deeper meaning in my life and i think part of that is it it happened three years before the pandemic. So during the pandemic, the film was rediscovered. And in that rediscovery, which was happening all over the world, um, it was the number one film on, um, I think on Netflix when it premiered on Netflix in like 2021, um, which when everyone was still in lockdown and, you know, we had the fires going on all over the world in, in Australia in in the Bay area and how people were referencing 2049. And then we were also experiencing some pretty profound aloneness as people um, trapped with our, our families trapped by ourselves in my case and in other people's case. Um, and so the film changed. Uh, it, the lyrics became a little bit different in a way 2019 didn't 2019 was this, be careful about the future. Be careful. This is what, it could be. And then 2049 in its own way became our future for those, for that eight, nine months a year. And so for me, seeing 2049 in theaters, which we've talked about at length on this show in many episodes, was a religious experience uh, for me, as I know it was for uh, Micah and Patrick. But then seeing it again in lockdown, it became. It became celestial. It became stratospheric. It, uh, and I think someone made a, a, a reference to K being more relatable in over Deckard, which I always find, I've heard that before and I always find interesting because I don't think K is relatable or not. He is, he's an observer the whole time, much like Deckard is, but they're different experiences. Both of them are very different experiences. And I think they're different experiences because we're given more time with K than we are with Deckard. Um, we're in K in a way that we are not in Deckard. We're Deckard. We're kind of like, he's the antagonist of the story. He's not the hero of the story where K becomes 
the hero of the story. He's diametrically opposed to Deckard. And then in 2049, they meet up and their stories converge. And uh, it's a beautiful, it's this beautiful marriage of very similar characters who are also very different. So the, the lyrics of that story of, of 2049, like continue to replay for myself. And in some ways I can't even explain to you guys and our listeners, I can't explain fully why that film resonates, but I think one thing I can say, and I know we've talked about this before, um, there's a loneliness in 2049 that is, uh, on the pulse of what people are experiencing today, and not just because of the pandemic, because technology is pushing us further apart. Because even though we have our phones and we have where everyone's wired, we are more apart than we've ever been. And I think 2049 picks up on that, at least for me. And it that story is a profound one. Yeah, I think in sort of keeping with that and expanding a little in, in my own view too, it, it has to do, I think, a lot with... 2019 and Patrick, you mentioned this a little, and, and Jamie, you've been talking. 2019 sort of took this this route um, of the uh, a path almost never trodden before. It's not the less you know traveled, just almost never traveled in a, in picking out a future and how it would be. And you know, there, I believe you know, there's been some episodes talking about how and what the the culture and the world as it was when 2019 came out and the reactions to it. And I, I think a lot of ways um, and a lot of the reactions were sort of odd because it it wasn't really a commentary or it, it at least, and I know it wasn't meant to be, but it, it just didn't feel of its time. And I think it's come as it's existed longer, more and more people appreciated it for what it, what, what it is, was, and will continue to be. Um, and for at least me, and it sounds like a lot of the comments and sounds like all of us, 2049 49 captured a, a something about the time it was made and something about when it came out. And it still somehow continues to capture the the, the present today. I, and I don't know, you know how much of that intentional. I can't imagine any of it really was. But for all the reasons Jamie described, um, twenty forty nine just it, it picks up on and can be related to so many more real world um, occurrences throughout the pandemic. It just you know the low hanging fruit, and not to 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 put that down at all, but you know the the loneliness, the isolation, the sort of empty city um, of what was, all the way down to just more of the you know either tracking data um devices determining whether uh, your moods and then uh, adapting to it you know both in joy and targeted ads for us today and you know all that sort of things of you know biometric privacy and all those sort of things it just it, it encapsulates so much of what's going on today movements of of lesser and sort of i guess others in quotes that you know, I guess typical society would place as as them and and not us. I think there was a lot of that that we felt um, during a lot of the 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 movements and the the riots and you know just the happenings during the pandemic, unrelated to the pandemic too. So somehow, twenty forty nine captured a present and a future um, in a different way than twenty nineteen did, and I still. Um, 
can't imagine that any of that was intentional. And again, that's just what seems so amazing. I mean, I, I like Jamie, it's so much of it you just can't put into words, which is amazing that so many viewers can. But I, again, Patrick describes it so well sometimes that just after when that when those credits went on, I, I there was a weight, there was lead in my shoes. I don't know, however you want to describe it, stone. I could not move because it was just like, oh my god, I don't want to leave this movie. And 2019 is fun, and it's it'd be fun to run around that, but it just didn't have that same thing. So I didn't talk about any of the points I wanted to, but I'm going to pass it on because I've been talking long enough, at least to that. But I don't know. I think there's something to that, that somehow 2049 just got in, got into the fiber of today and still does. Something that I wanted to talk about is, um, we kind of touched on it briefly, was the depth of the characters and how um 2049's characters seem to expand on characters that already existed in that world but also produce these incredible people that we can't stop talking about in this podcast and that our listeners and other fellow fans can't stop talking about or thinking about and like not it's not just Kay and it's not just you know the big ones like Deckard and Rachel it's even sort of supporting cast roles like Sapper and Joshi and all of these um world dwellers that 2049 gave us that are just it it's as if everyone <laughs> everyone who made the movie got together and they're like all right we're going to all put in a thousand percent into this world and everyone is fully invested and you can just tell by the way they move through the world even though some of it is, of course, CGI. Um, it always astounds me to see characters and actors in sci-fi movies and in these like large, fantastical, magical movies that we love so much just be alive and be disgruntled and be inconvenienced and be angry and just like living in this universe that is created for us so expertly by Denis Villeneuve. But like these characters just like they're never out of my mind, almost never out of my mind, especially characters like Love um, as an antagonist run by Neander Wallace and like Staline and everyone. I just, I want to know them, you know? And I don't know that 2019, at least for me, gave me that. It, it really feels like 2049 had taken the idea and just allowed it to grow and really root into the to the world and it's just it's so phenomenal it really sits with you in that way and i feel like each audience member was similar to you jamie and to you peter just kind of glued to the seat at the end and i remember the first time i saw that movie i had only seen the original blade runner like maybe once or twice and i was like oh yeah i am a huge blade runner fan now (laughs) Because this movie just, it, 2049 for me deepens 2019. And um, we can't have 2049 without 2019, but I don't need 2019 until I have 2049. You know what I mean? So like them together is is what I think it's all about. I feel like we're going to get a lot of disgruntled messages from from people who are... <laughs> fans of the original movie primarily and 2049 secondarily, because I do think that there is a whole generation of fans who don't reject 2049, but they look at it as sort of um, like a lesser version of the original movie. And I think that there that's, I'm not saying that that's an invalid way to feel, but I do think that it's hard for us, I think to, 
see it like that because 2049 came out when we were of an age to see it and the first one just just didn't. And I think part of that gets to something, especially Peter was circling around on, which is this idea of of thematic content and the timing of the themes that we deal with with art, right? So the themes in 2019, there are echoes of them in 2049. Of course, the existential things, you know, like that, that's definitely there. But there's a decadence to the futurism in 2019 that is absent from 2049, right? 2019, we get the sense that it's a somewhat oppressive environment, Los Angeles, but it also has a snake pit. It also has, you know, people in the streets. It has carnivals. It has, you know, bazaars. It has people in colorful dresses running around and dancing on the tops of roofs. There's a, there's an opulence to it, right? There's a sense of almost like a, an unfettering, which is interesting. And 2049 is obviously the complete inverse of that, right? It is like the ultimate shackle being put around individual freedoms of expression and of movement, literally, you know, because if you move too far, you're going to drown. Like this, like we only live in this tiny little space. And within this tiny little space, this little box that we want to put you in, you have to act in certain ways if you want to be okay. And if you're a Blade Runner in this society, you know, you have a very narrow margin to stick into. So I think watching 2019, which was speaking incredibly relevantly to themes emerging in the 1980s, I think, and I, I think this is largely due to Fancher having his finger on the pulse of what was going on. I think when we watch 2019 today, it feels somewhat dated thematically by that stuff, right? Because like those were fears that people in the 1980s had, right? The idea of like acid rain and the ozone layer, and these these themes that, uh, you know, it, it's not to say that they're irrelevant, but they're they're different from the things that we're afraid of today, right? And the things that we're afraid of today, it turns out, are a lot less sexy than the things that we were afraid of in 2019. The things that we're afraid of today are not having any trees anymore, are not having any friends anymore, are not having any real relationships anymore. Those are the things that we're afraid of. And I think, Peter, you're absolutely right that 2049, whether accidentally or not, zeroed in on that hugely. I think it's impossible to look at 2049 without looking at what was going on in the world when it was being written, right? This is a movie that was being written in like 2015, 2016, which was to to me still the most fragmenting moment in social media that I've ever experienced in in my lifetime and the reason why I don't really use it anymore because it was a, it was a hellstorm of just just misinformation and personal data being bought and sold and people arguing and people siloing. And um, it was just a, a relentlessly bleak time on the internet. And I think it drove this fear into people, right? That this thing that we created maybe wasn't what we thought it was going to be and maybe could lead to our downfall. And I, I know that when Fancher was writing the initial treatments for this thing, that was on his mind. It had to have been, right? This idea of like the world today is not the world that I thought I was going to inherit. And I, so I think 2049 was written in that context. And then very wisely, as they were making it, they were also responding to the context in which it was coming out. And this is a movie that came out in late 2017. So this is a movie that came out right after this incredibly tumultuous period in American electoral history, came out right in this tumultuous time in the United Kingdom. It came out at just this, this hugely uh, difficult time in global social-political norms. And um, 
What's really fascinating, though, is that those themes underpin the movie, but the ones that really emerge from it are themes that didn't really exist yet because we didn't know what it was like to live through a pandemic when the movie came out, right? So as Jamie was mentioning, the movie took on this whole different resonance for all of us. And we did, as as we've mentioned, many episodes on this early in the pandemic when we were putting... It's, it's so funny to look back at those now, Jamie. I feel like we, we were like so clearly just you're grappling with our mental health through what episodes we were doing because we were just going through all these themes and just trying to like exercise all these kind of demons that we were dealing with as, as a, as friends and as a fandom and trying to figure out what was actually happening. And one of the things we came back to a lot was why 2049 felt so relevant. So there's much more listening to be had on that, but I think that's why today it feels like 2049 is urgently speaking to us. Whereas 2019 is telling us a story. So it's kind of the way that I feel. I will say though, at the end of 2019, the the all, all of the all of the final 10 minutes of that film to me are as immediately relevant today as they were when I was a child watching it, and still to me feel like incredibly urgent, you know, in terms of um, you know what life actually is and et cetera. So uh, one other thing I'll say is is my cousin Miles, another you know big Blade Runner fan, we were talking about this earlier. And he was mentioning that part of why 2049 feels more relevant to him right now is because it deals so much with artificial intelligence, specifically through the character of Joy, right? And this is a moment where we are really living with the reality of AI and what it is presenting to us, which is really, I mean, like we're, I mean, we're recording this. I almost feel like I need to mark this for history. It is, we're recording this on Tuesday, May 16th, 2023 at 1050 PM on the East Coast. Like... I can't wait to hear this episode in two years and listen to how ridiculous we sound because artificial intelligence is progressing so quickly and the doors were left open so long ago that like, I have no idea what the next six months look like in this shit, let alone the next two years. So Miles was mentioning how 2049, because it deals with artificial intelligence feels relevant in that way as well. And he brought up an example of somebody who set up uh, like a, an AI woman with some sort of an OnlyFans or an OnlyFans equivalent account and made a lot of money because people thought she was a real woman uh, on this on this account, but she was just an AI bot. And like, that's a great example of, I think Joy is obviously different from that, but the, the idea there is kind of the same thing, which is if you don't have a real companion, here's a synthetic one at least, right? Whether Joy herself in the movie is a unique companion or not is a separate conversation. But the idea there, I think, is really true. And the idea there is exactly the everything you want to see, everything you want to hear with that's looking at you from the side of a building. And we, like that, that is like happening right now. And so again, 2049 was in, you know, right before the pandemic, speaking to us about isolation. And it was also right before AI emerging as this like incredibly ever-present thing in our lives, speaking to us about artificial intelligence in a way that felt interesting because it was commercialized. It wasn't some far-off, you know, sci-fi futuristic, like, ooh, like here's you know, intelligent robots, here's Skynet, right? It was something it's something much more subtle than that, which is here's AI. Do you want to buy it? It'll make you less lonely. And that's really fucking interesting, and I think part of why 2049 resonates so much right now. we may have talked about the joy thing once or twice 
Babwee. Just kidding. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> the AI point is so... It's, it's just... It's so relevant, Patrick. I mean, we are at a point with AI. Like, AI is everything you want it to be. You just type in... You'd prompt it, and it will give you anything you want to see. It'll give you... You can be on a submarine in 1942. You can be on, you can be on a spaceship in the year, you know, 3080 if you want to. I mean, we are there with AI, and it's, you know, I, I remember a couple of years ago they were talking about um, actors copywriting their everything, so, and then they would be cast in in films after their death, and you know, all of their audio would be in in. Ca- cataloged so that it could be recreated um, using AI. We've crossed that precipice. It's just a matter of time. Even now you're seeing videos on YouTube with AI people. And it's kind of shaky right now, but give it six months and we might not be able to tell what's real and what isn't. We're at a point now where, you know, there's people who are on Instagram. This one guy's on Instagram who uh, impersonates Tom Cruise using AI using uh you know the face thing and he's spot on and you couldn't tell and there's a couple of years ago there was talk about the dangers of using ai and making videos as someone else um and those people getting in trouble for maybe a video that they were in but that w- really wasn't them i was just in when i was in england the last time we were, we watched this reality show where People like Kim Kardashian, big, huge stars are like, they all live in a neighborhood and I don't know. It was just ridiculous. But every character had, uh, was AI. So it looked just like Kim Kardashian, but it wasn't. It was someone impersonating her. So it changed her features. You couldn't tell that it wasn't Kim Kardashian. Um, this is where we're at. So there's already reality shows happening using AI, um, as they impersonate other people. So we are there. And I think. As everyone has said, uh, specifically you, Micah, uh, but like it is, it is 2049 is our story now in, in many, many ways. In a way, 2019 was never, it was never our story. It was, this could possibly be our story. And there was an idyllic uh, portion, part of 2019. Not that that world was like, oh, that looks great. I want to go live there. But there was something comforting to it. Like, oh, we're imagining what sci-fi is going to be. We're imagining what life is going to be. And it's going to be kind of run down. And um, they got some things right with LA as, you know, the three of us, me, Micah, and Patrick have seen LA. We've been there. There's a lot of similarities happening in Los Angeles right now in terms of the homeless and the peddlers and the darkness of, of Los Angeles and the energy of it. A lot of that is true. Um, but that was just a prophecy of LA. Whereas with 2049, it was almost too true. The the elements that we're living of that story are are not just like we're not just seeing it unfolding on television. We're seeing it unfolding in our daily lives. Um, maybe not in the grandest way, like in the most apo- like dystopian way, but on the other hand, it is we are living in a very dystopian world. You know, we are living, uh, I mean, I, I I will not read the news. Like, I will not read the news anymore. I just will not do it. That is how, like, high my anxiety is. That is how freaked out I am these days of reading the news and seeing what's going on with us politically, seeing America kind of cave in on itself. And I think the America that we see in 2049 is America that has fallen apart, is America that has completely it's over 
Whatever has risen up in its stead is something different, and it's something it feels like a police state. And that's where it feels like we are heading right now. Um, so that's kind of as much as I love 2049 and as resonant as, as it as it is, it is absolutely terrifying at the same time. And just before we go for a final round, I, I want to point out that um to your point. Um, Miles had brought this point up because he was talking about a news story about an audiobook recording studio who fired all of their voice talent because they bought an AI program that's 20 bucks a month and it does all of the voice work now for this audiobook studio. So like you were saying, Jamie, like it, it is it's literally just happening. This is already this is already a thing. I'll jump in and just kind of to to sort of end. I guess the reasoning behind 2049 resonating primarily with me. But before I do, I also just wanted to comment and say thanks to Patrick for sort of throwing this back a little bit to 2019. Um, on the basis of base levels, um, I've shared plenty of times a lot of my affinity for 2019 um, is based on watching that with my dad on several occasions when I was young and impressionable. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with my treatment of it, too, um, in that I feel like that's our parents' movie in a lot of ways and it dealt with a lot of things that they were like patrick had mentioned either afraid of or just dealing with i mean sort of more the the detective the film noir i think that's something that was really i don't know respected as a as a genre and sort of done well or, or done a lot in that mind um i think obviously you see the flaws of your of your fathers much like our kids will see in us and mothers um but um, I, I think there's a there's a certain affinity for all that because of it. Um, 2019 absolutely is a movie that if I were to hear anyone talk bad about, I would get defensive and feel much like a family member that, hey, I'm only the one that's allowed to talk bad about this. You're not. So knock it off. And I want to you know just let, let those 2019 um, listeners, not that you're any different than any of us, but just know that – to love 2049 is a, a deep love for 2019 and all that. And so of course um, there's nothing about this that is any way um, against that film. And again, I'd be the first to, to jump in front of that bus to say, Hey, knock it off. Um, stop. But you know, 2049 to me, I, one of the comments mentioned uh, the villains. I think I'm, I'm a big proponent of Wallace. I don't think we talk about him enough. I'd love to get him into the realm of joy um, but I think what resonates a lot with that too is, you know, again, Tyrell is a very interesting character. Um, I think one of my favorite things about him is in fact, you don't know enough or about his reasoning or how he did it or what he did or how he amassed any of this fortune or technology. But what I do love about Waltz is that we know enough and relating it then to a lot of what we're talking about here tonight with real world underpinnings is, you know, here's someone that provided the world with something that it needed or maybe didn't need, but at least uh, required to move forward, which was, you know, some form, uh, at least from the film itself, some form of food. Um, he's heralded as, you know, a savior in a lot of ways is biblical in that sense, which I really enjoy. Um, but also there's a deep, darkness to him and insidiousness and a lot of that has to do with what patrick's talking about with social media and you know a lot of what's going on and falling apart recently with a lot of the uh silicon valley 
is here's people that were were heralded as kings and queens of of industry that were bringing us all these fast new technologies that we all needed but yet it turns out a lot of that was just built on <laughs> lies and then puffery and all those things so i think again wallace is just a great villain of our time um i love the fact that in a lot of ways you could make good arguments for him not being a villain you know why not try to build a a a, a separate workforce that can uh, at least propagate and protect us as as a species well, yes there's a lot of non-redeeming things and reasons why humans should <laughs> probably not exist in this world anymore um but the fact that we are human and we have children and want them to see better days you know i i think we'd all jump at a chance for a wallace to come in and, and save us and turn climate change around if we could and all those other issues but anyways so to just touch on that and to end um for me you know personally for me it, the story of of anxiety the story of of feeling the immense pressure of of k is something that i can identify a lot more than than being divorced and an alcoholic and you know sort of tr trying to shun away from a hard job of of killing replicants in in 2019 i think there's a lot more to to personally underpin on and you know i've said it before i think this part even got cut out during our our one episode where i was on the shores of lake superior and just gushing about all you guys too i, I think 2049 i can't separate from the friendships and, and the community that i found through Sholoro of Orion. Um, again, that's something I would have never even thought of just having 2019 as a movie. It took something like 2019 to push us, I think, all out into that sphere. So for me, it's a lot of that. And I think a lot of the listeners could identify with that too. So that's why 2049 resonates with me. No, it's not a better movie than 2019. This is not a versus, but I, I think there's some undeniable qualities that you can't shy away from. I echo all of that, Peter, and I think it's especially especially important what you said about the community and just getting to talk about this stuff on this podcast has been such a gift. Um, I well, I know I've said like I don't need 2019, but 2019 is such an intrinsic part of the experience of the universe of Blade Runner that of course I need 2019. So that was silly of me. Don't anyone come after me, please. Um, <laughs> I love 2019 because of 2049 and because the story was advanced in the way that it was in 2049. And um, the last thing I'll say is that, you know, when I think of all time movie greatest speeches, the tears and rain speech is absolutely untouchable. Um, it is incredibly special the way that it was written, the way that it was performed, the way that it was changed. It is, there's nothing like that. I, I put it up there with Shakespeare. I truly do. And I'm a huge Shakespeare person. So 2019 is a gem that begets this other gem, 2049. And I believe that all of us can agree that we're lucky to have them both. At the end of the day, the last thing I want to say is what I love about 2049 and 2019, especially 2049, is despite the world, despite the dystopia, despite everything that's happening, it's the connection of people that mattered the most. It was this man finding his daughter again. It was and in that finding his humanity. And that's what these stories are about. And uh, that human story resonates so profoundly with me and um, my own search to find out who I am as, as a person, find out where I belong. Um, and I, yeah, 
that more than anything else, that last moment where Deckard touches the glass and Staline is right behind it. Oh, every time. That's that's what that's why we're here, right? Your art really is. So thank you, everybody. We're going to do a part two on this, so the conversation is not over. Um, and uh, and as we wrap, I just want to give a special shout out to some patrons. And I also want to say, I don't know what's going on, but our Patreon has slowed down quite a bit over the last month. So <laughs> if you're considering joining, we would love your support. You can go to bladerunnerpodcast.com slash support, or you can just go to uh, uh, patreon.com slash perfect organism because we share an account with both shows. But, um, you know, we're starting to get plans ready that we want to be able to move on and having um, funding for that is really helpful, as is having access to a community of people who are really plugged in. As you can see by all the stuff that we read today, you know, those comments, a lot of them came from Patreon. So we do try to interact quite a bit with you there. And uh, so it's not just sort of like it's not like you're asking you to pay for access, but it is like a way of getting more directly involved with the show. If that's something that you're interested in. And if you are, we'd really love to have you because we could use the help. So just a quick shout out to some of our more recent patrons. We have Arturas Zavegas, Josh Bodone, Clayton Pulley, Eustacio Palomares, and Will Howe. Thank you to all of you so much. And uh, I guess with that, we can say we'll see you with part two. Yeah. I'll just jump in really, really quick to just plug. If, if a lot of you aren't, um, I guess perfect to organism listeners be sure to jump on there a little bit if you were a fan of transmission that everyone else here um on the pod did a a fun roundtable with the other members of of perfect organism I know I've been always asking for you guys to talk more about the creative process behind your audio dramas and all the things you did so it was so fun to hear Jamie talk about his work Patrick talk about um his craft and in, in 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 the soundtrack and and music for it. Micah talking about her craft of, of being an actor in it. And it was just, that was really fun. And if any of you have enjoyed it as much as I do, be sure to check out that round table. Cause it's just fun to hear you guys talk about stuff behind the scenes, how things came together. Just like a lot of these things do at the last minute, you know, uh, breaking down and, and building props and physical sets. It was, it was a blast. So anyone who hasn't um, done that, who's a fan of both shows, be sure to do that. So that's my quickie outside but also inside plug for it. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you. If you would like to find out more about Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast, please go to www.bladerunnerpodcast.com If you would like to support the show via Patreon, please go to www.bladerunnerpodcast.com forward slash support. Thank you.